Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Paydirt Podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin, and this is an interesting week for Penn State football because the 2022 Reese's Senior Bowl is happening this Saturday on the NFL Network, and six Penn State players have received invites and will be taking part in practices this week in Mobile, Alabama, and then the game itself, barring any catastrophes. So with that, to preview what these six players are, are looking like in terms of their future potential and how they're possibly doing down there in Mobile, what's happening with their prospects. We have a great guest. We are joined by Kyle Krabs. He is the director of scouting for the Draft Network, and you might know him from podcasts such as Locked on Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins podcast, and Draft Dude. So he is there on the ground in Mobile, Alabama, and he's going to give us some insight in terms of what these six Penn State players are all about, what they've got going on, and what their futures look like. I'm talking about Jahan Dotson, Jaquan Brisker, Arnold Ebiketti, Tariq Castro-Fields, Jesse Lucetta, and the greatest punter that humanity's ever known, Jordan Stout. So we're going to get to that here in a second. I want to thank you all for liking, commenting, subscribing, and turning on notifications. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action, especially as the playoffs continue on the gridiron. With a new updated desktop and mobile website, sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to get started from football basketball hockey boxing and ufc right to your favorite vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available now bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager all your favorite sports the pater podcast is presented by bet online where the game starts and of course funk brewing is the official craft beer partner of the pater podcast The Citrus IPA and the Silent Disco IPA are two of my absolute favorites. Funk Brewing has a ton of different styles and flavors for all types of beer drinkers. 50 plus options over time. You can find Funk Brewing at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Trust me, their fresh funky flavors will satisfy your craft beer loving taste buds and you're going to want to stock up as the football season winds down and especially for those of you celebrating Valentine's Day either with a loved one or on your own. It's the perfect thing. For more information, visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. All right. I am now joined by the director of scouting for the Draft Network, Kyle Krabs. Kyle, thank you for joining me. You've had a fascinating travel schedule over the last few days, and now you're actually on the ground in Mobile, Alabama. So for those that don't know, what is your life like in terms of the director of scouting for the Draft Network? Yeah, so this has been a great week to try and get on the horn with you guys and talk a little ball. We, you know, Friday had a nor'easter, and I'm up outside of Philadelphia, and then we flew to Vegas for the Shrine Bowl practices for a couple of days, and then today came all the way back to, to Pensacola and drove the Mobile, and we got Senior Bowl practices this week. So it's kind of you know what you're getting this time of year. The NFL 
schedule, we're the inverse of that. So when teams are kind of taking a step back and assessing, our gas pedal is down. But our, our group at the Draft Network is an excellent group. We've got uh, four full-time scouts on staff, a couple of part-time scouts on staff as well. And uh, we, we try to tackle this process as close to what NFL teams do as possible, where we're doing summer scouting and evals. And we do write-ups on them that are, are kind of base level. And then we'll watch the season play out. And then from there, we will return back to those preliminary write-ups. We will do a deep dive into the film and we'll stick within our pre-described regions and stack that board based on, I do Big Ten. So I'm watching a lot of Big Ten prospects. I watch Mac prospects because I'm up in that area of the country. It makes sense. And then we'll get through the all-star circuit and all of our scouts collectively will go through the list of regional grades and do cross checks where we all watch the same three players on a given day. And we look at the report that was written and say, do we agree with this? Do are there things that need to change? Do we need to make adjustments? And you know, from there, we'll, we'll do that all of February, all of March, and what we have in April to work before the draft rolls around. And we'll have a consensus grade on probably 300 prospects with over 500 prospects in total written up. So uh, really try to be as thorough as possible. And it, it's fun to do it from an outside perspective versus a team because you're evaluating across all 32 different sets of criteria, whereas the teams have much more narrow scope and trying to thread the needle and find what guys fit into what systems is one of the biggest, most fun parts of the job. And you don't have to deal with the uh, potential political minutiae within these teams of Correct. who's getting their say or something like that. So right. that's great to have that outsider's perspective. Um, one thing that I always find fascinating, Kyle, is that the amount of opportunities for players to be scouted by mm -hmm. NFL coaches and then to have games like you mentioned the East West Shrine Bowl, the Collegiate Bowl also took place. Now you have the Senior Bowl, which is a very long tradition. feels like more and more of these are popping up. Why do you believe that is? Well, I, I think no matter what level that you play on, if you could play, somebody's going to find you. And I certainly think with the Shrine Bowl, which in my opinion had one of the better rosters it's had in a really long time. I, I think back to the 2014 year that had Jimmy Garoppolo and it had uh, John Brown, who was a, the, those were both top 100 selections, and it had Shaq Barrett, the pass rusher with the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when he came out, uh, a lot of really good players. And you knew those guys were good players when they were there. And I, I look at this year's Shrine roster and, you know, it, there, there's a lot of really good football players. So, uh, I think with the way that the league is spaced out and all the different levels of competition in the NCAA, and then you add on the layer that so many prospects and college players, when they make that transition to the pros, a lot of it's about fit and opportunity and structure that you're afforded. So that does require a lot of depth when you're seeing two-star recruits like J.J. Watt eventually develop into these absolute monsters. Some of these kids just didn't get exposure at the high school level or they were physically late bloomers. And as a result, the Shrine Kid or the, the Shrine Bowl this year has a wide receiver from Lenore Ryan that has a better NFL body at wide receiver than any of the other guys there. And he was not a FBS or F FCS player. He was a Division II player. And I think that amount of nuance that's required here to project these guys is what allows you to have all of these events and all these exposures to all these different players. And there's certain guys, you know, uh, Joe Burrow's lighting the world on fire, and we all knew based right. on his last season at LSU, well, yeah, this guy should be going number one overall, and he, obviously he had a long journey to get to that point, but for every obvious pick like a Joe Burrow, there's Cooper Cup uh, with the LA Rams, 
Eastern mm-hmm. Washington. If I remember, nobody was really tracking the dude out of college, and now he might walk away with the MVP. So uh, I, I find all this stuff really, really fascinating. So I'm thrilled to talk to you about this. And specifically, you said you're a Big Ten guy. You're on the right podcast because we're a Penn State podcast. We're all about Big Ten. We're going to we focus. Are. By the way, my, on, my diploma on the walls you. got Penn State on it. So outstanding. You know, I knew outside of Philly, Penn State guy, we would get along just fine. I'm glad the Believe guys set us up. Um, so let's talk about who Penn State has going to the Senior Bowl. Six players. It's one of the largest shares of uh, individual players representing a school at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. So it's very significant considering seven and six seasons. Sometimes the record can mask what the talent really is on the roster. Um, were you surprised to see this many guys come from the Nittany Lions onto the Senior Bowl? Um. I was surprised to see like Tariq Castro Fields is, is a name that, you know, having watched and followed his evaluation, uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director here and his team is personally higher on, on Tariq as a prospect going forward to the pros than I am. But that's kind of one of those beauties in the eye of beholder things. And that that's what happens when you're scouting for 32 different criterias. And you know, Jim's been in, in the league for a really long time. And I know he, he gets feedback as far as, you know, if they're on the fence with a couple of guys, he'll, he'll probably ask around and be like, Hey, oh, which one of these profiles is more interesting to you? So, um, no, I, I can't say that Jesse Lucetta surprised me that he was here when a guy can play end man on the line of scrimmage as a defensive end. And then Ellis Brooks gets ejected against Wisconsin and he's playing Mike linebacker to close the game and, and really helping them lock down that game and win the football game. Uh, that kind of versatility is going to pop for all 32 teams because now you got appeal regardless of whether you're running odd front or even front. Um, uh, Evan Cady came in and had an excellent season this year in his own right as a pass rusher. Uh, Jahan Dotson, very dynamic player, not surprised to see him. Um, so, no, I think Castro Fields was kind of the one that I was like, oh, like I might have to go back and re-watch him as a player and see if if I missed something versus what they see. So I'm looking forward to grilling Jim on him a little bit while I'm down here this week. Yeah, and we're, uh, for full disclosure, recording this on Monday, so practices get started on Tuesday. So by the time this airs, we'll be in the full swing of practice, but obviously you've done your evaluations walking in, and this is maybe just crystallizing some of your opinions uh, more, uh, more so to yeah. speak, that way. So let's start kind of with the top of the heap in terms of the Penn State guys that are going to be there. I'm so excited to talk to you about all these guys. Uh, Jaquan Brisker uh, came into this season, I believe, ranked number three overall based by Pro Football Focus. And I really like the way that they break down individual plays and responsibilities for players. So I, I personally tend to trust that ranking. He lived up to the billing that he received this year as one of the best safeties in the country. When you watch Jaquan Brisker's game, is there anybody in the National Football League currently, you know, past or present mm-hmm. even, that you would compare him to? What is it about his game that is going to transcend? at the next level yeah so not when he first came into the league in 2009 another big 10 guy uh, but malcolm jenkins uh with mm. the saints drafted in 2009 uh what he's become when he's transitioned back to play safety you know the back half of his career uh is a lot of what i see with brisker where he's not necessarily super rangy you're not going to play a bunch of press one and ask him to be the center field guy in the high post and go sideline to sideline and have that kind of range uh but if you're going to run cover three uh, where you, where he's responsible for deep third. Uh, if you want to run interchangeable safety stuffs and go too high where he's going to be able to come down and get into the run fits and get involved in gaps, uh, he might be playing on the hash and have to play on the edge and step up and tackle. It's the versatility with him that really pops. And, and 
know, we, we try to do player counts for all of our write-ups and Jenkins was the name that I had written down when I wrote up uh, Jaquan Brisker. And, you know, obviously coming from Lackawanna, you know, we, we were talking earlier about the depth and opportunities that are provided to guys and you know, Brisker transferring in is a great testament to guys that don't have that exposure early on and develop late. And I think he's a really cerebral player. Obviously the play that he had against Wisconsin to pick the ball off on the, the throw to Jake Ferguson to mm-hmm. seal the game is uh, 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 the imperfect embodiment of Jaquan Brisker as a football player. He's on the other side. He knows the tendencies. He understands Ferguson's their money player in the passing game, and they're they're trying to get in and get a, a, a key score late in the game. And and he read that all the way. Uh, for scheme tendencies that I had written down for Brisker, I had multiple coverage shells, aggressive blitz approach, high usage of nickel personnel with shadowing assignments and main coverage. So the fact that he can do so many different things. Like, okay, you want to play aggressive and you want to have him down in man-to-man coverage? I think he can do that. I just don't think he's a a 4-3 athlete that's going to go sideline to sideline and and be the next Ed Reed or Earl Thomas if that's your expectation for him. Uh, I think that's probably a little ambitious. I think the one thing that was fun to watch about his game is to see him, at least at the Big Ten level, the college level, he could play the run exceptionally well. He was often put in the box by Penn State to play the run. Do you expect that necessarily to be something that's asked of him? Because in the world of safeties, he's not the biggest guy. He's not built like Troy Polamalu to be able to go in there Mm -hmm. and basically play linebacker. Do you see that for him at the NFL? Well, I I think and with the trends of the league and versatility that's so coveted now and Brisker having that, like you said, he's not a big safety, but he's not a small safety either. Absolutely. I think about the the Arkansas kid this year that came back and had a great season. His name's Jalen Catalan, but he's like five nine one ninety, and he'll, he'll still smack you around a little bit. But Brisker's like he, he doesn't have that glass ceiling over his ability to get involved in in the run fits, and he tackles really well. So and he plays. It was. I don't remember what game it was, but there was a short yardage attempt that he worked. He was on the second level. He was on the B level away from the run strength. And he came all the way through the trash and made the tackle at the line of scrimmage. And I believe they got the first down, but I remember watching that play with Brisker and like, wow, if he can play on the B level like that and has the feel and the comfort to run through all that traffic to scrape and trace the running back and collision him in the hole like that, that really makes me feel comfortable about comfortable about his ability to be somebody who can play low down in and the versatility to be able to stay in your base personnel uh, or to go to three safety stuff and know that you can play him high you can play him on the hash you can play him stack behind somebody Uh, I don't think that's going to be a limiting factor for him because he's kind of shown some of those things and he's playing in the Big Ten which is one of the most physical conferences that you're going to have on the other side of the SEC from top to bottom for team to team. And in regards to limits uh, for the bulk of 2021, he did deal with a variety of injuries, was in and out of the lineup. The the Wisconsin game, which you mentioned before, I called him a zombie because he'd go down, he'd pop right back up. <laughs> uh, is that any concern moving forward? Uh, I, I admire the fact that he played through it uh, and, and was didn't shut it down, right? That, that's always, do you have that competitiveness uh, and sometimes teams have to protect players from themselves in that regard. It's something I'd watch, uh, but unless he gets anything flagged at the combine, I wouldn't. It's not like I'm going to flag him for injury concerns based mm-hmm. off of just kind of being dinged up and playing through it. Now, before we get any further, what I'm about to say might shock you, but the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field, he's a goat when it comes to investing, too. He invests in stocks, crypto, 
and even art. Now you can invest like the goat with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares representing an investment in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And even better, our price outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% from 1992 to 2021. In fact, early investors already received over 30 In fact, early investors already received over 30% IRR from 2020 and 2021 from the sale of two paintings. This is your opportunity to join 300,000 other members and invest like the go. Get priority access with their game day promo. Go to masterworks.art slash believe. That's masterworks.art slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And of course, all of us involved in the Pater podcast are proud supporters of THON, also known as the Penn State Dance Marathon. THON is a year-long effort dedicated to raising funds and awareness for its sole beneficiary, Four Diamonds at Penn State Health Children's Hospital. THON is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, committed to enhancing the lives of children and families impacted by childhood cancer. Four Diamonds picks up where insurance leaves off to relieve financial stress and provide emotional support so that no family ever has to see a medical bill. Since 1973, THON has raised over $190 million in the fight against childhood cancer. And in case you weren't aware already, THON intends to hold THON Weekend 2022 in person two weeks from Friday, starting on February 18th and running through the 20th at the Bryce Jordan Center in University Park, Pennsylvania. To learn more about THON Weekend 2022 or to donate, visit THON.org. That's T-H-O-N dot O-R-G. It's all for the kids. Make a difference in the life of a child today. And on another personal note, we want to take this opportunity to put a spotlight on mental health with a new initiative called Tag Me In. Tag Me In is simply asking for people to tag in on the conversation and help strip away the stigma around mental health. Whether you're looking to lend support, you want to talk, you want to share, maybe you need some help. We invite you to join in on the conversation. We encourage you to make a video if you'd like, post it on your social media channels, and use hashtag tag me in and hashtag tag me in united. At the very least, we want to hear from you. You are not alone. Tag me in. Visit tagmeinunited.com to learn more. So Brisker, uh, a lot of people are expecting to be a first or second round pick. It's a similar projection for Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver. And it just mm-hmm. seems like every single year I, I did our last episode about Penn State wide receivers under James Franklin. And it seems to be the same body type, no more than right. maybe 6'2", 6'3", at the absolute tallest, 210 pounds maybe, but a basement of about 170 pounds, a basement about 5'10". He's right in that wheelhouse. He can make some fantastic catches. His route running is excellent, very strong hands. Um, it just seems more and more, Kyle, that the position, at least at the NFL level, is trending towards the small-bodied receivers. Not everybody's going everybody's gonna to look like Tyreek Hill and burn right. people for you know a 4240 or something but just being reliable where do you see Dotson falling potentially in this year's draft so uh, i think when we go through mock drafts uh, which we do every monday over at the draftnetwork.com a different scout on staff you know goes through the current draft order and tries to project and apply logic as best as you can for fits and Dotson's one of those guys who's constantly popping up in the 20s the late 20s early 30s right on that threshold, the back eight picks in the first round. 
whether it's Tampa Bay, if they end up losing Chris Godwin in free agency, whether it's the Buffalo Bills needing uh, another option in the passing game with Emmanuel Sanders getting a little bit older. Uh, there's a number of fits that, that make sense stylistically. And uh, one of my coworkers here, uh, Joe Marino, uh, the, he, he was speaking with Sean McDermott a couple of years ago at the NFL Combine, and they asked him, he asked him, what do you look for in wide receivers? And he says, I look for guys that get open and can catch a football, right? And you think about Jahan Dotson, yep. separation, gets open, and he catches the football. You don't have to go any further back than some of these spectacular catches that he has on his resume. So uh, I definitely think the trends of the league as far as being more offensive friendly with the rules and contact and how they're protecting receivers is allowing this body type of receiver to become more and more and more prominent. And, you know, as a guy who can attack all three levels of the defense, uh, I would expect him despite the fact that it's a very good wide receiver class to constantly be in that conversation all the way through till the end of April, last eight picks in the first round. And the thing I, when I look at his body type, you know, guys like Hollywood Brown jump to mind. And then you also think of, you know, regardless of the personality, Antonio Brown and Hollywood Brown, I would argue has been a bit of a disappointment, I think in Baltimore and that he was somebody who was projected to be pretty good coming out of Oklahoma and mm -hmm. had a lot of hype, but similar build to a guy like uh, like Jahan Dotson. So uh, if we're using the barometer of between Hollywood Brown and Antonio Brown, <laughs> they are related. Uh, is there any uh, place in that that you see Jahan Dotson falling maybe higher or lower on that scale? Um, I, I, I certainly think he could be a more volume receiver than what Hollywood Brown is. You know, Hollywood being a field stretcher, and it made sense. Lamar is a passer. He didn't really have a lot of that accuracy, 15-plus yards downfield outside the numbers. A lot of his best throws, 20-plus yards downfield, were the shots down the middle of the field on your, your go routes and your deep posts, right? And, and so uh, I think his role, Hollywood's role and usage, is a little bit more narrow based on what they are specifically doing for Lamar's strengths as a passer. Uh, mm. But I think Jahan, you know, depending on the strengths of his individual quarterback that he's going to have a chance to work with, can be a more diverse receiving weapon who can do more on the perimeter. He can work in the slot. I see enough separation and ability from him to be able to stack and get over top of guys. And he's quick enough that I feel comfortable that he's going to get off a of press. Um, I think he's a really multifaceted player that just the challenge for him is you look across the wide receiver class and you see, okay, I can get Jahan Dotson in this range, or I can get 90% of Jahan Dotson in the middle of the second round if I want to wait and invest in a more ideal or rare body type to be able to find it a different position. So it's kind of a positional value thing for him, but I, I would certainly project him above the role that Hollywood Brown has played for Baltimore. So Dotson and Brisker, uh, the consensus is first round, potentially second round at the absolute latest. That is where it starts to get kind of interesting with these Penn State players that are in the senior bowl, because just about everybody after there, it, it, it is a big question mark in terms of where they're going to land. And you mentioned Jesse Lucetta earlier, so I'll, I'll pick up with him. I find him to be the most fascinating case. You talked about it, can play DN, can play all three linebacker spots. What base defense does Jesse Lucchetta end up playing in, in the National Football League? And at what position? Yeah, so I think he's a hybrid linebacker type. And he, he's really fascinating to me. I, I like his workout of a two-point stance. You know, I think he's a little raw as a, a true pass rusher to win off the edge and be somebody who's featured in that role. Uh, my comp for him is Uchenna Nwosu, who was drafted in the third round by the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, and he's a guy who's like a, a four to six sack a year kind of guy, but 
you know, whether they're, you want to play under fronts and put him over top of tight ends and say, he's not getting a free release off the line of scrimmage. I'm going to collision him uh, and be involved in setting the edge against the run and really allow my linebackers to have a lot of space to flow behind me. Uh, he had a nice way and he came in this week, he weighed in 260 pounds. So I don't, I don't think that at that size, he's going to get looks too many looks this week at stack linebacker. Uh, and, and I think that's a great opportunity for him to showcase a role that he showed less of at Penn state versus being the off ball linebacker that he was more frequently. So uh, I think he's, he's not a scheme diverse player or, or a universal appeal player. He's going to be for teams that either run, I think odd fronts are your three, four defenses. And he's going to be the front side to the run strength outside linebacker on early downs. And then if you want to try to move him around on passing downs, or if you're going to have a lot of manufactured pressure looks where you've got games up front where you're exchanging gaps, you can do that with him. Uh, or if you're going to run even front playing him in that hybrid linebacker role, who's that Sam linebacker who's walked up on the line of scrimmage and, and really helping to set the edge. Uh, I think that's where his value is at its greatest based off of what he showed. But I'm fascinated to see if he continues to grow as a pass rusher because he's got really heavy hands and he's got some good length. So that that's a nice recipe uh, for the NFL level to win as a pass rusher if he can build that out. The speed is going to be the question. I'm very curious to see how he does uh, the remainder of this week and as we get closer and closer to the draft. Um, one thing I'm always fascinated about, and maybe this is a little off topic, obviously Jesse Lucetta uh, is a Canadian prospect. Plenty of Canadian yeah. athletes that are playing in the National Football League. I happen to be one of those junkies that watches the Canadian Football League, and it's very easy to Good identify the next, best, the next best professional football talent on the planet outside of the NFL is playing north of the border. And for one reason or another, Americans don't seem to watch it. Are, are American fans sleeping too much on the ability that is coming from Canada? One that jumps to mind is Chase Claypool, the wide receiver for the yes. Pittsburgh Steelers. And there's many more. Yes, there's no question. And this has been a rapid push over the last three or four seasons. You know, I think about Javon Holland, uh, whose dad played up north. And he was one of the best safeties in football for the Miami Dolphins this past year. And um, you're starting to see a consistent push of three, four, five, six legitimate top 150, top 200 prospects that are Canadian background and they're getting their feet wet there before they come down. So, uh, we always joke about when the, the CFL season starts that we're going to commit pod podcast time to it, whether anybody watches it or not, because like we, it's football. How do you not enjoy yeah. it? And, and we should talk parallels. about that offline sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll just have, we'll bring you on draft dudes and we, we can talk CFL all season long and, and you'll officially yeah. be a, a draft dude alumni. So yes, we're sleeping on Canadian awesome. prospects for sure. I'm very excited for Jesse because he he's worked his butt off for a number of years and I respected that he played in the Outback Bowl and then the next day declared, all right, uh, I'm going to the NFL yeah. draft. So yeah. not a lot of guys do that now and there's no real right or wrong way anymore to go to the pros with all the uh, opportunities to go early, name, image, and like this opportunity. So I just like the way Jesse went about his business. So yeah. hope the best for him. Uh, keeping on the defensive side of the ball, since you mentioned uh, Tariq Castrofields as well, he's somebody that I, I genuinely like his game. Um, Penn State didn't put him in a ton of bad situations last season. Um, I think Joey Porter Jr. came under more fire just because of um, issues at the point of contact and penalties, etc. And very often, if you would watch a Penn State football game, you didn't hear Castrofields' name called all that much by right. broadcasters or really get involved in any bad situations. So is he... Uh, it, what does he translate to at the next level? Yeah, I think he, he's 
the, the comp I have down for him is actually another Penn State guy, Jordan Lucas. Um, mm, I think he, I that. think his movement skills. I think he's a sufficient NFL athlete, and I think he has plenty of physicality in his game. But I'm concerned about his ability in space um, to be able to to match on the outside in man to man coverage. If you you were going to ask him to do that on the perimeter against NFL wide receivers, um, so I think he's somebody who's going to have to find that niche role within whatever roster and opportunity he gets to have that opportunity to really stick on a team. And I know that's kind of me personally. I think his projection for coverage uh, that I like best is when he's playing in a half turn. Uh, So he's playing cover three and his kind of hips are open to the field. His eyes are in the backfield. Uh, He's going to keep stuff in front of him on the outside, play deep third. uh, And then that way you, you can come up and just make sure that you're tackling in front of you as compared to being at the line of scrimmage and having to turn and flip and carry guys vertically. You know, just got a lot of dynamic receivers on the outside that I'm just, I didn't quite see that level of movement skills that gave me great confidence there. But this is also part of the beauty about this draft process is if he comes down here this week and he knocks it out of the park and he's playing press man and he's staying sticky on all these wide receivers, I, like I already alluded to, might have to go back to the tape on Castro Fields and say, okay, Jim Nagy and his staff very clearly saw something in him uh, he showcased things that I didn't see when I first watched him at Penn State. What am I missing? I'll go back, watch a couple other games that I didn't get, didn't get a chance to watch the first time through when I first wrote about. One thing that's been fascinating through these NFL playoffs is the defensive collapses. And we've seen some fantastic yes. games that have gone down. Bill's Chiefs jumps, uh, jumps to mind as what in the world went down, not only for those defenses, but especially the secondary. So you're getting to rub elbows with a lot of these evaluators. How high is the scrutiny? for players in the secondary as they're being scouted in 2022? Yeah, it's it's a tough way to make a living, right? You got to have a certain kind of demeanor <laughs> to be able to be on an island and, you know, every single play and you're going to give up plays from time to time and forget it immediately and go on to the next play. And um, it, it's it's a lot of trust in your technique. It's a lot of trust in your eyes. It's a very instinctual position. And, and that's why... Uh, getting a chance to be around these guys, not just on the field and seeing how they recognize route combinations based on uh, what the splits are and, and whether it's three by one or two by two or you know down and distance situation, kind of understanding the, the sticks and where to play, uh, but also getting these guys in the meeting rooms and having interviews with them is a critical layer to be able to kind of uncover like, okay, like how how does how quickly does he digest information both in a football setting and in a non-football setting? Uh, and then you're looking for those guys to have an edge. You know, if you're kind of a docile guy, like that's not to say that you know, you, you're not you're guaranteed to not have success. But if I get a docile guy and I get a guy who's got a real edge to him at that position and I can favor them similarly as players on the field, I'm going to take the guy with the edge every single time because you need to have kind of that dog mentality about you to survive based on we talked about the, the trends of the league are so space oriented. They've really handcuffed corners. You can't really play with a lot of physicality anymore. It's tough. So you got to be relentless mentally. And I think that's one of the good showcases for these all-star events in the NFL Combine that these guys are going to have a chance to showcase to evaluators. Sticking on the defensive side of the ball for Penn State, uh, their last defensive player that will be at the Senior Bowl is uh, defensive end Arnold Ebichetti. I love this guy's story. Transferring from Temple to Penn State gets one season as a Nittany Lion and immediately from the Wisconsin game shows up big, 
gets a couple sacks, uh, blocks mm-hmm. a field goal attempt, and very quickly establishes himself as one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten. And mind you, this is a conference that has Hutchinson Loaded. and Ajabo just <laughs> ruining people's lives uh, playing for the Michigan Wolverines. And uh, what's his name? Ebiketti came out uh, number one in tackle for loss within the conference. So mm-hmm. the one thing I really like watching his game and turning on the film is is his ability with his hands. He might not be the biggest or the fastest guy, but he is very good at fighting off tackles or defend or blockers with his hands. What have you seen when you throw on the tape of Ebiketti? Yeah, so I have him graded as an early third-round value, so he's going to be somewhere for me personally in that 60s to 70s range at this point in time. And when we get the cross-checks, I'll get to watch three more games of him, and I might juice his grade a little bit. But the comp I have here is, Philadelphia Eagles defensive end Josh Sweat coming out of Florida State, where you know kind of a height, weight, speed type guy, uh, and he and he came in down this week and he's at two fifty plus, and that's a great way in for him uh, because he's a really bursty guy. I think he's going to make a lot of noise early in his career as a designated pass rush specialist. I think he still has some room to grow as far as how he plays the run, but I agree with you with his hands as a pass rusher. His inside counters and that kind of rip and dip reduce that inside shoulder and really well-timed to be able to force missed hands on the outside. And, and you don't want to be a guy who's a 250-pound guy where you, know, you might not meet the thresholds to be a five-tech and play in a tight alignment and an offensive tackle. Um, I, I think he's going to be better served in a seven or a nine. Uh, those wide nine defenses that really encourage those first-step defensive ends to get upfield and create chaos – uh, I think that's where he wins, but if you're going to play that style, you can't be spending a lot of time dancing with offensive linemen who are getting their hands on you. So I think that's why his hand timing is really, really important. And I thought the best game that I watched, I watched Wisconsin, Auburn, Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan. I thought Iowa was the best game that he played. And when you consider Iowa's history as being a very good team to run the football, a team that has a lot of physical offensive linemen and is an offensive line factory, He really tested those guys, and um, I I think he's somebody who is not dissimilar to Jahan Dotson, going to have to beat the players around him within his respective group. Uh, But the nice thing about pass rushers is it's kind of a a pick-your-poison. Do you want a 280-pound guy like Logan Hall out of Houston who can play inside at three technique on passing downs? Uh, Do you want uh, a Nick Bonito who's a 235-pound hybrid linebacker who can play off the ball as well as being an end man on line of scrimmage? Uh, or are you going to run this wide nine defense that I think Abbey is that that's where I really favor his projection. So different teams are going to be looking for different things. And if a team falls in love with him, I wouldn't be surprised to see it at all to see him outperform the projection that I just gave you of the sixties or seventies in my personal rankings, because they're going to have their own criteria that they're looking for. I just love uh, what you said earlier in terms of, it doesn't matter really where you play. Somebody's going to find you, but do you believe the jump for him from the American Temple to the Big Ten, Penn State, really did it for him a year ago, maybe when you were evaluating him? Did you see these oh, types of yeah. traits that might lead to this moment? Yeah. 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 I, I knew he was a nice speed rusher, but I watched him at Temple and it's like, okay, like he's giving him hell, but what's he going to do with that jump and level of competition? And, and that's another value piece to these all-star events too, is you get to see FCS kids come up and play against kids from Alabama and so on and so forth. But for Katie, I came into this season and I'm like, yeah, right now he's like 
a midday three guy for me. He's got some nice juice, but like I need to see how he handles the physicality of playing against more physical offensive linemen and how well he plays the run. And you mentioned the production in that regard for the amount of splash plays he made in the backfield. This year for him really helped him take steps forward. And I thought technically he advanced his game uh, quite a bit too. So this year was critical for him based on where he was coming into the year. I thought he was going to be maybe a late fourth or fifth round guy and uh, I think he's got upward mobility to go second or third round now. He's a great story. Uh, we will end, uh, and no disrespect to specialists, punters, kickers, but we will end with the uh, the man that I have had a lot of comments about throughout the season, uh, Jordan Stout, who I believe is being strictly evaluated as a punter. However, he was the kickoff specialist. He was the kicker. He was the punter for Penn State. He did everything, and I've said it a lot throughout this season. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. He is a great punter but he is not a great kicker. What do you believe Jordan Stout to be uh, if he is picked up by an NFL team? Yeah, and specialists and projecting them is always kind of its own different breed. And a lot of times it's it's the interviews and getting to understand, okay, what was he asked to do? What were the, the techniques that they were implying? Can we implement something different if we feel like there's a dynamic physical skill set to work with here? Uh, but he has 100 career punts, and his, his average for his punts is 44 and a half yards. I think that's enough to really grab and command your attention as compared to the kicking resume where it's, I think it was right around two-thirds percent of his field goals, and he missed a couple extra points this year. I, I wouldn't expect he's going to get too firm of a look from a kicking standpoint. You've got to be really be a standout in that regard, as evidenced by uh, McPherson with the Bengals and what he's been able to do this year is, as they've made their run through the AFC playoffs. But I think he's got a pretty reasonable shot as a punter to to get into a camp, whether it's as a late round draft pick, if he knocks this week out of the park, uh, or as a UDFA and get into a, a battle. But at the end of the day, a guy that you know can kick field goals as a punter, it's a more you can do league. So the fact that he has that on that resume is something that he can at least be able to point to and say, hey, you know, you want me to hold? Let's try holding out. You want me to punt? I'll punt. You know, and if we get into a pinch or the kicker gets hurt in a game, at the at least at the end of the day, you know, your punter's got 30-something field goals on his resume. Yeah. And and he's been put in some situations where he's had to attempt a couple fakes and throw the ball right. a couple of times, not necessarily do a lot of success. And I hope that doesn't happen to him in the next level because I just don't want to see someone like Indama Kinsu eat his lunch. I right. hope he's okay. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, Kyle, listen, thank you very much. Um, For those that are not familiar with Kyle's work, you can check him out on Twitter at Grinding the Tape. Um, you're on the Locked on Dolphins podcast. You're on the Draft Dudes podcast. And then, of course, uh, the Draft Network, which you can find on social media and online. Uh, you're their director of scouting. Thank you so much. Uh, what is Mobile, Alabama like this time of year? It's uh, cold, filled with NFL <laughs> personnel. Um <laughs> A lot of football practice and not much else. So it's if you're a football junkie, it's a great place to be. Uh, and they, they do a great job down here. I know this this is a big part of their calendar year for the city. So Jim Nagy's put together uh, quite a bit of things to kind of make this a destination attendance for football fans. And I would definitely recommend if you consider yourself like a diehard football fan, do this once. Come down here, do the game. They do a lot of stuff with the prospects on Friday. Uh, they've got a football symposium where I think Nick Saban's one of the, the speakers at this year's event in the, during the middle of the week that you can go get dinner and, and have an event where you listen to them talk. So a lot of really cool opportunities and come down, rub elbows with us at, at TDN and, and hopefully talk a little shop and talk some ball. 
I'm very envious. Uh, if you're in the Mobile, Alabama area and you're listening to this, hey, go give it a check. Uh, go give it a look. Uh, all six Penn Staters are on the national team, which is being run by the New York Jets staff. Uh, the 2022 Reese Senior Bowl is this Saturday, February 5th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on the NFL Network. I'm sure I'll spy you on the sideline at some point as I'm watching the game. Uh, Kyle, thank you very much and safe travels. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I'm glad we could link this thing up. I know it's been a couple of days in the, the making. I appreciate your patience, and I'm glad we finally got on and talked some ball. We made it happen. Enjoy the senior ball. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.